This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Tonight we conclude working through the book that you have, The Leader's Guide. Uh, What Brother Jeff Musgrave, Evangelist Jeff Musgrave, is calling The Exchange. And it really is an explanation of the gospel, but in light of the exchange we see in God's word where the Lord Jesus gave up all that he had, left heaven, so that an exchange could take place where he would deliver me from my sin, its penalty, give me his righteousness, he would die so that I would not have to die made me a child of God, though I was an enemy, really, because of my sin. And so, tonight we're going to finish that up. If you'll turn in your leader's guide to page 43. If you are near someone who has theirs, look on. Again, uh, these will continue to be available at the Welcome Center if you would like to do the exchange with someone, these four lessons, someone who uh, may not know Christ, but through the word of God and just sitting together, uh, sipping coffee uh, in a quiet place and just working through these questions with them. Again, the strategy is to give them, there's another booklet uh, that is Uh, What you have, the leader's guide has notes on the uh, margins, but what they're going to receive is just the study itself. They can work through that the week before you get together, uh, you uh, work through their answers, discuss uh, the scripture passages that are there, and as these lessons progress, uh, you help them by asking uh, searching questions. How does this truth apply to you? What do you think God is saying here about you and me? And again, I personally have seen God use that truth to arrest, to get hold of hearts and to bring people to salvation. Uh, My goal these uh, weeks has uh, has been not to make this academic, all right? And even tonight, there may be those watching by live stream We may have some folks here who are not certain that if they died today, they'd be on their way to heaven. So I want to share this truth with you, and it'll be instructional for Christians, good reminder to us, some things that will help as we uh, seek to share Christ with others. But if you are not 100% sure tonight, you can't give a Bible reason how you know all your sins are forgiven, past, present, future, and that if you were to die today, you'd be in heaven, based on what God says in his word. Uh, This tonight, I think, will be a special opportunity for you to hear from the Lord, for his word, to maybe clarify some things for you, and even at the close of the service tonight, uh, perhaps to admit to God you're a sinner, and for you to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Just a reminder, with this material, as you begin, again, notice the questions before each lesson, uh, 43 tonight there at the right, 
The person you're helping should have already filled in the lesson. These questions help you know what they are thinking. It helps you know what they are understanding about the biblical truth uh, that they've already read and, and answer the questions too. Now, so far, your Bible study partner has learned some important truths about God. First of all, that God is holy and he cannot tolerate sin. God is holy, he cannot tolerate sin. Number two, God is just. He cannot overlook sin. He wouldn't be just if he just passed on sin, played favorites, depending on whatever mood he was in, uh, that, and, and he responded differently to sin. That, that wouldn't be our God. That wouldn't be justice. Uh, he is consistent. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change, but that also means he does not change in his response to sin. Right? Although that is true, he's holy, he's just, he is love. And he sent his son to become a man and to be the perfect payment for your sin and mine. We learned last time that Jesus provides a perfect exchange that satisfies God's holiness, his justice that we might be saved. And how did he do that? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The holy just God went to a cross and he died in our place. It's amazing. So this is God's gift offered by his grace. Now tonight, the lesson is about the marvelous grace of God and how we can access his grace through faith. The Bible tells us that we're all dead in trespasses and sins. There is no spiritual life in any of us before we're saved. And so the Lord has to reach into our lives, give us understanding, give us enablement to even understand our need for him. And that's grace. He does that not because he has to, he does it because he loves us and wants to. It's undeserved, it's unmerited. But he comes to us, he pursues us, and he enables us to understand our sinful condition and our need of Christ. So tonight, our theme is we're going to look at the fact that God is gracious. He's gracious. Now the first ten questions in this lesson teach the student, again who may be lost, about grace and what grace teaches us about God. Question number one says, God's holy and just nature keeps him from simply clearing the guilty. That's true. Instead, there is something in his character that caused him to seek uh, a way to forgive our guilt. He hates our sin. He can't look on it. But he loves us so much that he had a plan before ever creation happened. He had a plan 
to redeem you and me in love. So your partner will read Exodus 34, 6, and 7 to learn what in God's character caused him to provide our deliverance. Here's the passage. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, that means he's slow to anger, and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. So our gracious God is long-suffering, slow to anger. He's merciful. He is pursuing you, but he's not going to tolerate your sin. He wants to deliver you from it. He can't have a relationship with you if you're still in it. Now, even though God must judge sin, question two draws attention to Nehemiah 9.17. You are a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. Now, that's God. If you understand Scripture, you know that what we're reading is inspired. This is God speaking to us. It's inerrant. He's speaking through human authors. But listen, here's what he's doing. He's teaching us about himself. This is what he wants you and I to understand about him. Now, Jeff Musgrave goes on to define grace and mercy. This is at the top of your page 44. Grace is God giving to man what he does not deserve. Mercy is God not giving to man what he does deserve. I remember as a child hearing good Bible teaching, good preaching, and, uh, you know, as kids we all say this, well, that's not fair. Sometimes people will say, you know, God's not fair. And I heard a preacher say one time, you don't want God to be fair. You better be thankful he's gracious, merciful. All right? Mercy, not giving us what we do deserve, but grace, giving man what he does not deserve. Reaching out to us. Jeff then asked the question, do you remember what we deserve because of our sin? We saw this in previous lessons. We deserve hell. We deserve the lake of fire. Question three reaffirms the answer by quoting Psalm 86, 13. For God is your mercy, or I'm sorry, for great is your mercy toward me. And you have delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Now later in the lesson, your student will be encouraged to pray to receive Christ because whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Question four, though, asks this. Why is God willing to hear our prayers? Why does God listen? Okay, Exodus twenty-two twenty-seven. It shall come to pass, they, he, uh, uh, they cry unto me that I will hear, for I am what? I'm gracious. In fact, God made his grace known to man by sending his son, who is grace personified. 
God's unspeakable gift. What did I deserve? I deserve judgment. What did God send me? A gift. His son. God come in the flesh. Why? So that he would graciously, he is grace personified, so that he would step in before me, take my judgment on himself. That's grace. Look at question five. And there you'll be reminded, John 1, 17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by or through Jesus Christ. Question six, and to whom does God make his grace available? Titus 2, 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to who? All everyone that's gracious again I don't know if you're taking notes and I'm, I want to give you some things that you might want to share with those you're having Bible study with but this isn't original with me God didn't come to save his friends he came to save his enemies to make them his friends see that's grace so your partner will learn more about God's grace in this section we want to keep moving tonight, but I want to draw our attention to the exchange that's again taught in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. The exchange is not just some idea an evangelist came up with. This is what is taught throughout the scripture, and I don't know of a clearer passage than 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's at the bottom of page 45, unless you want to turn there. What's, it, what's the verse uh, say? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Down from his glory, ever living story, my God and Savior came. Jesus was his name. Born in a manger, to his own a stranger. That's, that's our Lord. He became poor that you through his poverty might be rich. So Jesus took our poverty on himself and made us rich in his place. Now the next two questions, page 45, questions 8 and 9, begin a discussion on faith that will take you through the rest of the lesson. So again, grace uh, this, some have used it as an acrostic. God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay? It is God reaching out to us. It is God uh, showing his, his love for us and drawing us to himself. But we have to put with that unmerited idea the fact that there's also enablement. Right, so God reached out and he enabled us to understand spiritual truth. He opened our eyes. He drew us to himself. And then he gives us uh, the ability to turn to him in faith. That brings us to faith. The student, the student, the person you're working with, will learn that grace is accessed by or through faith. You already know this from Ephesians 2. And we usually quote verses 8 and 9 together, but what's it say? For by grace ye are saved through what? Through faith. 
So when I understand my need and I come to God in faith, He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And when I come to Him by faith, you know how He responds? With grace. This truth is taught in Romans 5, 1 and 2. This is question 8. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through, again, here's the enablement, our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So question 9 explains... That faith and believing mean the same thing. And question 9 gives verses to show that faith accesses the grace of forgiveness, righteousness, and everlasting life. Now we can have that grace before we're saved. When we come to the Lord by grace, we're saved through faith. We access that faith. After we're saved, we come boldly, by faith, before the throne of grace, and again, obtain strength to help in time of need. Thank God for His grace. Now, I appreciate in the lesson so much the way that this chapter closes by explaining the difference between common faith and saving faith. I'm going to make some bold statements tonight, but I think we can, I know we can clearly back this up from Scripture. Do you know that hell is populated tonight with people who had common faith? All right. Wow. What do we mean by that? And this is something that is so important in this Bible study that you're going to have with Folks, so let's talk about common faith for a moment. Some people think that they are already Christians because they define faith as understanding or acknowledging that what the Bible says about Jesus is true. Many of us have witnessed to someone, perhaps a family member, a co-worker, who said to us, oh, I believe that. Have you ever heard that? Oh, oh, I believe that. And what they're thinking is, because I believe that, my church teaches that too, I must be a Christian. The paragraph under common faith ends with this accurate statement. You can look at it there. Acknowledging Christ intellectually and even agreeing in your heart with what you know is true is still not enough. Question 11, page 46, explains this point. Luke 4, 41. Think about this. The devils also came out of many crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he, Jesus, rebuked them, rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew he was Christ. I remind folks that I'm witnessing too. You know, the devils believe too. How do they know? He threw them out of heaven. Oh, they believe. But they don't believe 
that he's Savior. Got to be careful. Common faith. Let me encourage you to add this reference to the margin in your leader's guide. Here's another, yet another verse, James 2.19. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Oh, I believe in God. Well, wait a minute. So does his enemy. All right. And so let me give you an illustration, and you can uh, put this in your margin again. I brought with me tonight some medication. How many of you believe in the common cold? Okay, yeah, me too. Don't like them. But I'm so thankful there are medications on the market, and I happen to have one tonight. Daytime cold and flu is what it says. Okay? This happens to be one of my favorite. And it works. Now, I acknowledge it works. Part of the reason I know it works or I acknowledge that it works is because someone told me that they put their trust in it and it worked for them. And so I can feel better about the fact as my nose is running, my eye, I want to dig my eyes out, you know, they're itching. And, and I, boy, I am just miserable. Uh, the worst are summer colds, right? Okay. And I can, I can be encouraged that there is actually something that can help me. But if I put it back in the box and back in the medicine cabinet, it doesn't do me any good. Acknowledging isn't enough. What do I have to do? I have to put my trust in it. So I open it up, get a glass of water, and I receive it. I take it in. What have I just done? I have exercised not common faith, but depending faith. And it helps. Now, instead of just common faith, every person needs, look at your notes, look at your book, saving faith, page 47. It explains that faith that accesses God's grace and saves a person from sin and hell has three essential elements. And I'm thankful again for this truth because it cuts through. We live in a religious world. We live in a a religious nation. I I listen to these surveys that that tell me how many of my fellow Americans consider themselves to be Christians. And I scratch my head. What do we have? As a nation, there are a lot of folks who still have common faith, but they don't have saving faith. And they go to churches that every Sunday tell them they're okay because, well, we all mentally acknowledge certain things. We're Christians. We're good. You're set. Not so. Not so. In fact, my Bible tells me that there's coming a day when people will stand before Jesus and they'll say this, Lord, 
Did not we cast out demons and do all these wonderful works in your name? Jesus will look at him and say, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. And they could stand there and say, Well, Lord, I have common faith. The problem is, you didn't receive me. You didn't have saving faith. And so Brother Musgrave explains that there are three essential elements to saving faith. Number one, you can see this. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit for time. You must understand the gospel. God cannot overlook sin. And he gave his life in exchange for yours because he wants to save you. You have to understand that. So I'm not dismissing the knowledge part of this. There is a cognitive part. I, folks, I, I lead to Christ. I tell them there are four things that the gospel teaches that you have to understand and believe. You're going to have to put your trust in what God has said about sin and the fact that he's the only savior. You are going to have to understand these things. Number two, you must agree that you are a sinner who needs a savior. Understand and then agree. Now these first two parts deal with mind and emotions. Or as Brother Musgrave says, the first two legs of the stool, or if you look at the diagram below, the angles uh, that, that he talks about there. Understand, agree, and then number three, you must choose to depend or trust Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, for your sins to be forgiven and for you to receive his righteousness and eternal life. So exchange your sin and its penalty for his righteousness and eternal life. I used earlier the example of putting your dependence in medication. Not just acknowledging something, but receiving it. I believe that doctors can... <laughs> there's amazing medicine out there and they can show me tests and show me pictures and tell me what's wrong and I can, I can be encouraged that he, he sees what's wrong with me, but it's a whole different deal for me to show up to the hospital and then let him put me out and put me under a knife. I can acknowledge some things, but then there's trust, there's dependence. Brother Musgrave gives us this illustration. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in 1859, an acrobat by the name of Charles Blondin, there's a picture of him, stretched a tightrope across Niagara Falls. How many of you have been to the falls? All right, most of you. Wow, good, all right. Can you imagine somebody putting a cable across there and walking across? Blondin did it. He fitted a special wheelbarrow for the tightrope and walked it across. In fact, history tells us that he would stop and there were things that he did out there. Amazing balance. 
One day then he asked the crowd if they believed that he could put a person in the wheelbarrow and walk it across. The crowd cheered. They acknowledged that he could do it. Listen, they believed. Then he looked out into the crowd. There was a man that was cheering and he pointed to the man and he asked the man, do you believe and will you get in the wheelbarrow and I'll take you across? And you'll see in your material, the guy ran the other direction. It's one thing to believe about. Are you willing to get in the wheelbarrow? Now the rest of the lesson emphasizes the saving faith excludes man's own abilities to save himself. So you'll see passages there that talk about Nobody's justified by keeping the law. By the way, that is the essence of religion. Can I say this? And, and I, that is the essence of some old religions. They've been around a long time. They must be right. Not if they're contradicting the Bible, they're not. Okay, by keeping the law, nobody is justified. For by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, listen, not of works, lest any man should boast. To trust any of these is to trust self and not the Savior alone. Again, I love to go to the example of the thief on the cross. What church could he join? Was he baptized? No. He admitted to God he was a sinner. And he had already acknowledged that Jesus is Lord. Lord, remember me today when you go into your kingdom. What did Jesus say? This day you'll be with me in paradise. I love the fact that there were three crosses and God's grace was active on Mount Calvary. Grace personified was in the middle and as this man in faith trusted what God was doing in his heart, he was saved. No works. Let me give you another illustration. Brother Musgrave does not include this, but I think it's very helpful. And I don't have time tonight. I'd love to be able to illustrate it. Other evangelists have done this. <clears throat> I'd love to go get two choir chairs and bring them right out here. Put those two chairs here. And we would call the one chair good works religion. We'd call the other chair Jesus alone. Many, many people have common faith but not faith in Christ alone. And so if we had these two chairs, if I came, this is what a lot of religious people do, I wouldn't, wouldn't sit on this chair, Christ alone. I'd sit somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I know, I know believing in Christ is important, but I, here's what I hear. I have to do something. Good works. My religion. And so sit right in the middle, and this is comfortable. Here's the problem. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father 
but by or through me. One chair. To sit in the middle, well, yeah, Jesus is important, but, but I've got to do something. My church said so. For me to sit in the middle is not trust, it's split trust. And what is split trust? You might want to write this down. Split trust is mistrust. Either Jesus can save or he can't. Reality is if religion would have solved our problem and gotten us to heaven, Jesus didn't need to come. But he had to come. There was no other way. So let's summarize. The lesson closes, page 50, by emphasizing repentance. What does Luke 13, 3 say? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now, how is that part of salvation? Well, the Lord clearly states it, but here's the reality. It's agreeing with God about myself. I'm lost. I am headed for judgment. And Lord, I am agreeing with you about my condition. Guess what? Nobody ever gets saved who doesn't first acknowledge they're lost. And so repentance is essential. Now the word repent means to change your mind about yourself, your sinfulness, your inability to save yourself. And again, this is what the lesson helps us understand. This requires humility, James 4, 6. But God resists, he opposes the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Want a New Testament example of that? Jesus shared with the disciples one day in the temple, two men walked up. One was a Pharisee, the other was a publican. The Pharisee looked to heaven and said, God, I do all these things. I'm set. And by the way, I'm glad I'm not like this character. Pointing to the publican. The Bible says that the publican wouldn't even look up. His head's down, he smote his breast. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said to the disciples, I'll tell you that day who went away. There was one man that went away justified, and it was the publican, the tax collector. Why? Because God gives grace to the humble. Those who are willing to repent, but he resists the proud. The chapter closes by suggesting a prayer that a person can read, they can make those words their own, and then invite Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Now, Jeff is very thorough. He actually has them write out a prayer and he gives them this model prayer below that they can, they can pray. Let me, let me simplify it for you. And again, this may be a note that you want to make. When I give the gospel, here's, here's what I do. I simply ask the person. I said, look, when I got saved, I just repeated the gospel back to God. Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve judgment for my sin. I have fallen short of your glory. 
But you have provided a way of escape, and that's through Jesus Christ. He came to take my place, become my sin. I believe he died, was buried, and rose again. And, and Lord, what you did there is all that I need. And so right now, I believe your promise that if I call on you and ask you to save me, if I receive you, I'll be saved. I just repeat the gospel back to him. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can just take Romans 10, 13, back up to verse 8, and just come down through, and that's exactly what that passage teaches. Right? And so, once they receive the Lord, you can rejoice with them, help them with assurance, and the rest of that final lesson just helps reaffirm in their thinking what God has done in their lives by, by giving them salvation. It's excellent. Now, the thing is, we don't want to be in a hurry. Take the time to work, work through these things. All right? And if, if you need to even break up some lessons, to, well, however the Lord leads in that, go ahead and do it. Uh, but the Lord will use this word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I hope this is a help to you Christians. I hope this clarifies some things. But maybe someone is listening to this message tonight and God through the message has been speaking to your heart, especially about the matter. You have common faith, but you've never exercised saving faith. Again, somebody has said that being saved is the distance of 18 inches. I can have a head full of Bible knowledge, things that they taught me in catechism, in, in some religious class when I was a kid. I can have a head full of that stuff, but unless I take the truth and I act on it, I believe it, I won't be saved. And so tonight, if you're not sure you're saved, in a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to put your faith in Christ. Look, in heaven, there aren't going to be any denominations. There's not Baptist acres and where whatever. All right. Only those who have been saved by grace through faith alone. That's the only folks that are up there. Nobody who thinks, well, I've lived a pretty good life and I think my good works will get me in the door. Nope. Lest any man should boast. And so if you have not repented of your sin and said to Jesus, your work at the cross is all that I need, Lord, tonight I'm trusting you alone. Would you save me? You need to do that tonight. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Father, we want to be well equipped, be able to tr take the truth, have it clear in our minds, and then share the gospel with others. It's simple. But Lord, you gave us all this truth for a reason to reinforce 
truths about grace and repentance and saving faith. And Lord, I've been praying that you would use the message tonight to draw some folks to yourself. Lord, this is near and dear to my heart because I had parents that were raised in churches where they had common faith. But it wasn't until they were young adults and confronted with the gospel that, Lord, they put their trust in you, invited you to save them, and, Lord, you transformed their lives. They were new creatures in Christ. I'm so thankful, Father, that I got to witness regenerated parents, not just religious parents. And Lord, there may be those listening to my voice, young people, parents, grandparents tonight, young adults who are not saved. And Lord, would you give them the grace, the humility to be willing to admit it and to receive you tonight before it's too late. Now's the time to be saved. Help them not to put it on. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.